0: We all have a specific ideology or philosophy that has developed over a lifetime on planet earth. Nature versus nurture collide at various times to alter and shape our way of thinking. Once a conservative Protestant, I am now a Torah-observing libertarian, and this is because I began to critically and objectively assess my religious and socio-economical positions and had to adjust where I saw flaws. Together. With an objective perspective, we can continue this growth to better serve our fellow man and the Creator Adonai. Won't you come along? Hey everybody, John Bryan here again with the objective perspective. Uh, Today I'm going to be talking about a topic that is uh, basically uh, an answer to a question that I've been receiving a lot lately. And uh, you know, as I've mentioned in other you know episodes, um, my journey into being Torah observant has taken place over the last I don't know six or eight months. Probably, it's actually probably longer than that. Um, probably a year or two. But it's taken me some time to really uh, believe uh, that this is what the Lord is commanding me to do. Um, I've definitely been exploring it for a while, but for the last six or eight months, um, starting earlier in this year of 2021, uh, is really when I started to find out that this is um, this is the word of the Lord speaking to me and not, uh, not some other voice of man. Uh, so anyway, lately I've been asked by numerous people uh, why it is that I choose to, quote, put myself into bondage, unquote, uh, by following Torah you know uh, that's a valid question i suppose uh, if you're not of the persuasion that torah applies to modern man uh, it, it definitely would seem as a as as a as a bond and as a uh, a way to keep us enslaved uh, and, and deny ourselves freedom um and so uh, it's a valid question and i want to explore today uh, the answer of why that I choose to observe Torah, and why I believe that you should as well. Uh, You know, those who ask me why I choose to put myself back into bondage, uh, I believe what they're trying to say is that we are freed from the Torah, which is the law, because of the death, burial, and resurrection of the Messiah, Yeshua. Uh, Through this series of events, we are no longer bound by the Torah, in which we are commanded to abstain from unclean meats, to observe Shabbat, to celebrate the feast, and to not wear clothing that is mixed linen and wool, etc. So they say. However, many of these same people will correctly say that we are bound by other parts of Torah, such as honoring your parents, worshiping only Elohim, giving tithes, no lying, stealing, or committing adultery. So by their own logic, then, they are still half-bound by Torah. And in talking to people who believe this way, and it's a group that I was a part of until the recent past, you know, I have found that the lines are usually drawn on cultural and traditional boundaries, meaning they believe that they are freed from the law in order to enjoy the things that are acceptable in their particular uh, culture or in their particular region of the country. Um, You know, a lot of these people would never dream of eating blood pudding or eating a live squid, but... uh, they have no problem with, you know, eating catfish or bacon, you know, or barbecue and shrimp or squirrel and crawfish, um, along with enjoying college football on Shabbat or listening to country music, which is, you know, popular in the South. It's not necessarily popular everywhere, but rock music is popular as well. Uh, and it's not that I'm putting those into a blanket um, category. It's just the, the, the lyrics that are contained in that music is often very... Dishonoring to God, uh, you know, watch soap operas, and you know, just it, it's southernisms, you know, and uh, and according to some people, we can enjoy these things because we have freedom in Christ. But my question, however, is: Are we using justification by faith as a justification for our lawlessness? So let's climb aboard and let's ride this train together. John chapter fourteen, verses ten through twelve and then verse 15, and then in verse 21. Uh, I've lumped them all together. I'm going to read this passage. It says, Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me. He doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me. Or else believe me for the very works sake. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me... The works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. If you love me, keep my commandments. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and will manifest myself to him. There are two things that must be established before any further discussion can occur. And the first is that Yeshua and the Father, Elohim, are one and the same. We see this in the passage we just read, as well as John 10.30, among any other places. And it must be noted here that Yeshua's statement in John 10.30, where he said, I and my Father are one, so enraged the Jews at the time that they tried to kill him on the spot. So this was a very uh, bold statement, and one that the uh, Jews did not believe. Uh, Secondly, we need to agree that God never changes. James 1.17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. There are many more places in Scripture that drive home the point that Yeshua is Yahweh, with whom there is no changing. He turns the hearts and minds of men as He will, and His methods will vary by circumstance and individual. But all His deeds and words are the same. From everlasting to everlasting. If you disagree with me here, there is no point in going further. Might as well turn me off, put it down. Everything else I say, you'll disagree with. You must have this foundation to proceed. But now that we have the previous two foundations laid, we can go into why I made the decision to observe and follow the Torah as a 21st century Baptist of pure European lineage, living in the southern United States. It shouldn't be surprising, considering that this is known as the Bible Belt, but fellow Bible Belters are those who are misunderstanding me, so this is dedicated to you. In our opening passage, Yeshua says two profound statements, followed by a promise. He identifies himself as Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Number two, he says if we love him, we should keep his commandments. And number three is the promise. If we love him, the Father will love us and will manifest himself to us. Having already established that Yeshua is Yahweh, we now turn our attention to the second statement. If you love me, keep my commandments. Because the King James Version of the New Testament that I use was translated from the Greek, I look up the meaning of the word commandment in the Greek from whence it was translated. The original word was entole, which means an authoritative prescription or precept. The connotation is one of a parent who administers their child a medication that was prescribed from the physician. The medicine may be bitter and unpleasant, or perhaps it is smooth and sweet tasting, but the parent's authority in compelling the child to take the medication is not dissimilar to the meaning of the word commandment. The parent commands the child to open and take the medicine for their own benefit, just as Yahweh commands us with authority to follow his precepts. The Hebrew counterpart to this thought is the word mitzvah, which means ordinance or precept. So the idea here is that God's commandments are precepts, ordinances, and mandated prescriptions. But prescriptions for what? Well, sin is the disease. The commandments are the medicine. But the healing comes from the great physician, Jehovah Rapha. Our, name, or our faith in him produces the cure as we read in Galatians 2.16. It says, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, Even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ, and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. So the keeping of the Torah will not and cannot justify us in the sight of Yahweh, for they are works. It is faith alone in the Messiah that redeems us from the curse of sin. Now let's look also at Galatians 3.24. Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster, to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. Torah brings us to the Messiah and points him out to us. It did so for Shem and Abraham and Moses and Joshua and David and Daniel, just as it did for Justin Martyr and Calvin and Spurgeon and Tyndale and Wycliffe and all other believers. Torah has a twofold application. By showing us what the Father expects of us, it reveals our depravity and inability to live up to it, thus our desperate need for redemption. However, Once we are redeemed, it is how we are sanctified and obey the will of Yahweh. Therefore, Yeshua said, if you love me, keep my commandments. His commandments, which are the three Ps, the precepts, prescription, and principles, are to be followed to prove our love for him. And because Yeshua is Yahweh, his commandments reach from Genesis to Revelation. And because he does not change, he wants us to obey all his commandments from Genesis to Revelation. Now, the next word we look at is the word law. Found all throughout scripture, the word often produces negative connotations to us. We see the law as a harsh taskmaster, demanding more from us than we can possibly give, just as the Egyptian pharaoh demanded a bigger quota with fewer materials from the Hebrews before the Exodus. However, when looking at the word at its original source, it takes on a much softer meaning. Before we find the definition, let's read a few verses that contain the word. And Jehovah said to Moses, How long refuse ye to keep my commandments and my laws. Exodus sixteen twenty eight. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Joshua 1, 8. Now hold up here for just a second. I want to read that last verse again. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, But thou shalt meditate therein, day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make the way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Joshua says we are to meditate on the law, and to do all that is written therein. And in return, our way will be prosperous and have good success. Now, what was this book of the law that Joshua was talking about? This is in the book of Joshua. He is speaking about the previous five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. He says we are to hold it in our hearts and meditate on it. The same verse has been put to music and taught to hundreds and perhaps thousands of youths at Baptist church camps and rallies for who knows how many years. I mean, I learned it 20 years ago by some of the same people who don't follow the law. And teach that it does not matter to us anymore. <laughs> it's disturbing to me that we will teach our youths this verse as a song in church camp, and say that it matters, but then turn right around and say, "Well, the book, the the law that's written in the book of the law, half, a quarter, three quarters, five eighths, nine tenths of it doesn't apply to us anymore because it's all well. That was all for the people of Israel. That was for the Hebrews. That was for the the Hebrew children that came out of Egypt. Oh, really? Then why are we even quoting that verse? Why are we singing that verse, teaching our kids about that verse? The song in the verse isn't disturbing, but the attitude behind the people who teach it sometimes is. Just as disturbing to me is another example of a children's song that is taught to our little kids by people who don't believe what the song actually says. And the song is correct. It says, Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. And I am one of them, and so are you. Well, that, do we believe that? Do we believe that we are the children of Abraham? Because if so, we have to obey the, the rules that Abraham was given. If we abide in his covenant that he made with the Father, then we are bound by the rules that are within that covenant. Either we are or we aren't. It's the same people who say we are not bound by the law because we are not Jewish, But we have faith in Jesus who redeemed us from the law also teach that we are children of Abraham, but only when it's convenient. Whether they realize it or not, this is an admission that we are a part of the Abrahamic covenant, grafted in by adoption. And that is true. We are a part of Abraham's seed once we are justified by faith. As a result, we are obligated to keep the commandments and precepts that were given for him and for us to keep as part of the com- of the covenant. A few more verses speaking about the law. It says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of Jehovah, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. Psalms 1 and 2. Psalms 1, 1 and 2. There it is again. He says, meditate on it day and night. Psalm 119.97 says, Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. So what is this law that God chided Moses for disobeying and that Joshua and David fondly speak of meditating on constantly? It is the Hebrew word Torah, and it means precept or statute. Torah, mitzvah, entoleh, precept, commandment, ordinance, prescription, They are spoken of with affection by those who obey it and with contempt by those who do not. Yeshua said, if we love him, we will keep his precepts, which are everlasting to everlasting. Is that not reason enough? Besides the opening passage from John that we read, what else did Yeshua himself have to say about the law? Surely, if anybody, he has the authority to announce that the law is abolished. Well, we find our answer in Matthew 5, 17 through 19. It says, think not that I am come to destroy the law, which is Torah, Or the prophets, I am not come to destroy, but to fulfil. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass in the law till all be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments, and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So in his first major sermon, The above passage immediately follows the Beatitudes. He delivers all the apparent paradoxical statements, you know, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth, and so on. Then he follows that with saying that he did not come to destroy or abolish Torah, but to fulfill it. Now, does fulfill mean that he kept the law so the rest of us don't have to? No, not at all. To fulfill the law means that he satisfied the penalty associated with breaking the law. We know this by seeing what the original meaning of the word fulfill is. But Yeshua himself clarified this immediately afterward. He says, not one jot or tittle shall pass from the law until all be fulfilled. The passing of heaven and earth. Basically, neither the dotting of an I nor the crossing of a T will go away until the earth does. And last time I checked, the earth still exists. A quick example of the fulfillment of the law is this. When you incur a speeding ticket and you pay the judge, did you abolish the law or did you fulfill the law? Or better yet, when you do not speed at all, thus not requiring a speeding ticket, are you destroying the law or fulfilling it? Yeshua said he came to fulfill the law. He fulfilled it because we cannot. Not fully, not every time, and not sufficiently. Also consider this. One day we will stand before Yahweh at the Bema Seat to give an account. The scripture says if we transgress one portion of the law, we are guilty of breaking all of it. So when the Father has us answer for our ways, I believe he will ask first, Is this man guilty of breaking the law? It doesn't really matter how many laws we've broken or the magnitude of them. One is sufficient to damn us. But Yeshua the Son will step up and declare that he has fulfilled the law despite our inability. At this point, Yahweh will turn to us and ask us, what did we do with this newfound redemption and that's that's our judgment seat he, when we are asked what did you will give an account of what we did with our life and then we will have to answer for our stewardship of his gifts and his precepts yeshua then goes on to verse 19 which is over often overlooked by many people he declares that anyone who teaches us that even the least of the commandments is null will be called the least in his kingdom notice he doesn't say they won't be in the kingdom further proof that this is not a matter of salvation. But he does say that they will be the least. Their rewards will be few. Now, if obeying out of love isn't enough, how about not wanting to come in last place? Is that enough to motivate you to obey the Torah? What is the least of all the commandments of the law? Is it keeping Shabbat? Or consuming unclean meats? Or something else? I will leave that up to you to decide. Whatever you determine to be the least of them all, Yeshua said, if you teach others that it is of no consequence, then you will be considered the least in the kingdom. I don't have any aspirations to be the greatest one in heaven, but I would not want to disobey any commandments of the Father and do not want to be known as the least. He is the propitiation for my sins. My only hope is to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee rule over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. As an aside, the closest Yeshua ever came to overriding Torah was to actually make the law stiffer and not laxer. Consider Matthew 5, 21 and 22, and then verses 27 through 28. He says, Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her, hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. So Jesus didn't abolish the law. He actually said, if you have contemplated and meditated on breaking the law, You've already sinned in your heart, whether or not man knows about it, God does. So he went above Moses and added to it. So far, we've looked at number one, Yeshua is Yahweh. And as thus, he spoke the world into existence, gave Torah to Moses and then wrote it on the hearts and probably spoke it to the God fearing men before Moses. Therefore, when he said, keep my commandments, he was referring to all the law given since the beginning of time. Number two, he says, if we love him, we will obey him. If we don't obey him, we are not showing our love. It is a sad situation when a redeemed spirit cannot love its redeemer enough to obey even in the least of things. Number three, this brings us back to John fourteen twenty one. Yeshua says, if we keep his commandments and love him, the father will love us. We know Yahweh already loved us as his creation in need of redeeming. And we see two examples of this in John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And Romans 5.8, But God commendeth His love towards us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He loved us while we were yet sinners. He loves us. But when we are redeemed by His Son's blood, he loves His love for us deepens. And when we keep His commandments out of love for His Son, we reach an unprecedented level of affection in the Father's eyes. His love for us does not diminish when we disobey, but His blessings will. For He heaps His blessings upon us when we show ourselves faithful through our obedience and our love for Him. Just Man, think about that. The entire premise of keeping Torah is loving Yahweh enough to keep His law. We do not fear the law or the consequences of breaking it, because Yeshua took that upon Himself as the final sacrifice on the cross. But, by his own words, he did not do away with the law. He did not strike the laws from the books or even the penalty of the law. He instead fulfilled the law's demand for justice. He is the propitiation, an atoning victim, for our sins. We find out more about that in Romans 3.23 and then 1 John 2.2 and 4.10. But one of the most common objections I get from people who challenge my position that Torah still stands today is they'll point to Deuteronomy 21, 18 through 21, and they'll ask if I still believe this portion of the law applies today. And people always want to go to the extreme and point to that as, as if it's mainstream. But let's read it. It says If a man have a stubborn and rebellious son, which will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and that, when they have chastened him, will not hearken unto them, then shall his father and his mother lay hold on him and bring him out unto the elders of the city and unto the gate of his place. And they shall say unto the elders of his city, this our son is stubborn and rebellious and he will not obey our voice he is a glutton and a drunkard and all the men of the city shall stone him with stones that he die so shalt thou put evil away from among you and all israel shall hear and fear so first of all this is not a case of little johnny having a moment of rebellious defiance over eating broccoli at dinner neither is this a teenager struggling with a rebellious streak Notice it says he is a glutton and a drunkard. So not only does this suggest that he is a grown son, probably unmarried, but it also shows that there is a clear pattern of this behavior that the son is not correcting, even to the exasperation of his parents. He, as an adult heir to the family name, is dragging it through the mud and dishonoring his parents, which is a violation of the fourth commandment. Yahweh, through Moses, established the penalty of dishonoring one's parents to be death. Because, as we know from 1 Samuel 15, 23, rebellious is as the sin of witchcraft. And, according to Exodus 22, 18, thou shalt not suffer a witch to live. However, just as Yeshua paid our penalty for the sin of breaking Shabbat, or whatever other sin you may have committed, the Bible says for the wages of sin is death. If you break Shabbat and you are breaking God's law, you are worthy of death. So not only did Yeshua pay that penalty, he also fulfilled the penalty for rebellion and dishonoring our parents. It is still a sin to break Shabbat, just as it is still a sin to dishonor our parents. But he paid the sin debt for both. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Another misconception is the clean versus unclean meats question. Many say this law was abolished on the cross, but more vividly when Yahweh told Peter, Quote, what God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. Unquote. Acts 10.15. And when Paul said, Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink. In Colossians 2.16. For the sake of time and space, I will not address this topic here, but will do it alone in a separate study. But I must simply say that those two passages and similar ones are grossly misinterpreted. Peter's vision and Paul's instruction simply do not nullify Yahweh's commandments that predate Noah to abstain from unclean meats. Briefly, the vision of the sheep being lowered and full of all kinds of animals was a visual representation of all of humanity. Some are the dregs of society. Some are disgusting. Some are simply barbaric, while others are proper, respectable, and morally or physically clean people. But all are worthy of the redemption of Messiah. Messiah. While Torah and the Abrahamic covenant was given exclusively to the Hebrew people for safeguarding and cherishing, Yahweh was now telling Peter that it is acceptable for all people to receive it. And how will they receive it unless he takes it to them? And that is what the vision represented. Torah, yes, was given to Moses. But it existed before Moses. It was given to Moses' ancestors through the hearts and minds of the of the men of God, from Adam to Abel and Cain, to Seth, all the way down to Noah and Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And it was given on down to there, to Abraham. Before Torah, Abraham knew. Abraham gave a tithe to Melchizedek. Abraham knew what to eat and how to act and how to sacrifice. But it was all given to to the seed of Abraham. And to the forefathers of abraham but now he is telling peter now take this to the world include everybody in this it's already been saying if anybody comes into your city if a stranger comes to live in your land and chooses to abide by the covenant that he is also bound by these rules but now go and tell the world that this applies to everybody that's what he that's what he told peter now revelations i'm almost done but revelations is the undisputed well, revelation, of the end times for humanity on earth. It was given by Yahweh to the Apostle John in a vision on the island of Patmos. Here, John was serving a life sentence of exile as punishment for preaching the message of Yeshua. As the last surviving member of the Twelve, and even outliving Paul by at least three decades, he was the last person on earth to receive a message from Yahweh that would be canonized into Scripture. Revelations chapter 12 gives an account of the dragon, which is Satan, being at war with the woman, which is represented by the Abrahamic covenant, and her seed, which is Yeshua, and then those who abide in faith in him. The entire chapter is worth reading in this context, but verse 17 is what I will read here. So, Revelations 12, 17 says, And the dragon was wroth with the woman, and went to make war with the remnant of her seed which keep the commandments of Yahweh and have the testimony of Yeshua Messiah. Satan is not at war with the physical seed of Abraham. Now, he does hate anybody who believes that they are part of the covenant. But he hates the remnant that keep the commandments of Yahweh and have the testimony of Yeshua Messiah. That's what it says. Which keep the commandments of Yahweh and have the testimony of Yeshua Messiah. Those who have both. It isn't those who claim to follow Christ who will one day say, Lord, Lord, have we not done many wonderful works in thy name that he is after? The remnant is those who keep Yeshua's commandments and have the testimony or give evidence of Yeshua Messiah. These are the same people of whom Yeshua said, if you love me, keep my commandments and that we will be loved by the father if we love him. So the same people that Satan hates is who God loves. And those are those who keep his commandments and have testimony of his son. So those who keep his commandments but don't follow his son, that's not who God's going to fight for. And I would also tend to say that those who do not keep his commandments but say they love his son, they're not part of that either. But as I close, I want to be clear on something. That I am not saying that those who disagree with me are condemned to hell. I may be completely wrong in my conclusion of what the Bible says about keeping the commandments of old. But I would rather err on the side of obedience than on the other side. However, I do believe that there are millions of people who love Christ and are justified by faith, but are wrong or unaware on the issue of keeping Torah. And I don't think they will be refused eternal life because they are ignorant on this. But they will be judged according to how they obeyed the Father. You see, the word of God is everlasting to everlasting. Before Moses, there was a distinction between clean and unclean animals and practices. We, we see that with Noah in the commandments on how to bring animals on the ark. Before Mount Sinai, there was a proper way to sacrifice. We see that with Cain and Abel. Prior to the Ten Commandments, there was a seventh day Shabbat. We see that in Genesis chapter 2. Before the apostolic era, there was a commandment to tithe. We see that. We see an example of tithing with Abraham. And we see a commandment in Malachi. And so forth. You know, Yahweh does not change. Now, I'll leave you with this verse. Yeshua Messiah, the same yesterday and today and forever, Hebrews 13, verse 8. Folks, I don't mean to judge anybody. I don't mean to belittle anybody. And I certainly don't mean to say that I am more righteous or better than you. But I do believe we are to follow His commandments, every one of them. And we are to do so because we love Him. We are to show our love for Him by obeying Him just as a child shows their love for their parents by obeying them. And if they love their parents and they don't show their obedience, then there's a problem. But all I want to do is share with you why I believe what I believe here in hopes that at the very least you'll understand me. And perhaps maybe you will see what I see and come to a little closer, deeper understanding of what it means to f- keep His commandments. I love you all. I love you, Yeshua more. Until next time, Shalom. Goodbye.